0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you've turned to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we're going to look at this one verse. And I just want to kind of review a little bit so that we're on the same page, especially those of you who are new, those of you who are watching online, you weren't able to watch last week. But I started off and said, there are four questions that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to participate in the process of discipleship. And the first question is, are you marked as a disciple? And it's simply that have you crossed that line and it's not just going to church, but have you made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ? We're not just saying a sinner's prayer. But it entails the sinner's prayer where you're saying, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. But you're making a conscious decision and being marked as a follower of Jesus Christ. As you know, it simply means letting go of our self-centered life and being able to allow Christ now to rule in our hearts, to guide us and lead us. And everything we're doing is that now we are a child of God and we are obedient to the will of the Father. The second question was simply this. Are you maturing? As a disciple, because there are many of us who are believers, but we're not growing. And you know you're not growing. Some of us don't even know we're not growing until we see other younger people coming up and they're experiencing things that you haven't experienced. And you realize that something might not be right. And my encouragement to you is that Christian life is more than just coming to church. It's more than going to life group. It's this deepening of your trust and your reliance upon God, especially through Jesus Christ. It's about deepening our understanding about the gospel. And as some of you know, we've been at the summit, our executive team, and we just did a whole two sessions on discipleship through the gospel. What does that mean? Because the people on our executive team are leaders of leaders, so they're mentoring some of our leaders, our life group leaders in our church. And so everything rises and falls with leadership. So if the top leaders are not really understanding the gospel, they don't know how to disciple through the gospel message, we're not going to have the leaders in our church be able to do that. If the leaders are not able to do that, they can't do it with those people who are committed in our salt community. And then those people in the salt community will not be able to do it with some of the members in our church. So everything comes back down to the leadership. And so we're talking that maturity is something that goes beyond just attending meetings and doing the right thing. That's why I read from 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 in the voice translation. Listen to what it says, and I want you to read the yellow section with me. It says this, if someone claims I'm in an intimate relationship with him, but this big talker doesn't live out his commands, then this individual is a liar and a stranger to the truth. But if someone responds to and obeys his word, then God's love has truly taken root and filled him. This is how we know that we are in an intimate relationship with him. Anyone who says I live in intimacy with him should walk the path Jesus walked. Other translations says walk in the step with God. It's about trying to become more like Jesus Christ as he enables us through his grace. And as we understand this gospel message more and more that we are saying, Jesus, I want to walk the way you walked. I want to love the way you loved. I want to have compassion the way you have compassion. I want to be able to speak the truth and not shy away because I'm a people pleaser. I want to be able to be selfless like you are selfless. I want to forgive like I forgive. That's how you know you're maturing. Because your life is reflecting Jesus in the way you love, the way you live, the way you forgive, the way you are devoted to the things of God. That's maturity. It's not about how many times you do soap. It's not about how many life groups that you didn't miss. It's not about signing up, being the first one in the, within the 10 seconds to sign up to come to Sunday celebration. I realize some of you are getting better and better because now it's taking up all the spaces filled up and there's people who can't even come. And so all I can say to you is, I mean, praise God you're here. We love you. I'm glad you're here. You make me feel really good. I, I like to speak to a live audience instead of a camera, like a machine or something. And so uh, I'm thankful for that. But it's not about being able to come here and be the 30%, the chosen 30%. The other two questions that I did not talk about that I want to talk about today and tie it into calling is this. The, fir- the third question, are you making disciples? And fourth question, last question is, are you multiplying disciples? So I want to kind of, as I summarize what we talked about last week, and I'm giving you a little kind of overview of where I'm going to be headed. I want to ask you a question, and I I want you to think about this for a moment. And it might seem like a simple question, but you're going to have to really think through this. And the question is simply this. What is your highest pursuit in your life right now?
1: What is your highest pursuit in your life right now?
0: I think it might be better to ask this question in a different way. And let me kind of come from this angle. Where do you spend most of your time your treasures, your talents, in order to fulfill or find a sense of significance? Let me ask it again. Where do you spend most of your time, treasures, and talents in order to find a sense of significance? I think many of us in this room are still very young, except for maybe a sprinkle of uh, some of us here. Therefore, you have, you're not even thinking what's going to happen to you when you die. Some of us who are a little bit older, we're feeling it in our bodies, and we're feeling it in other ways, so we think about it. And one of the things that I've always been telling people is that if you live your life with your funeral in mind, you will live a different life. Because many of you are still young. We did our survey. Our average age is like early 20s, mid-20s. We're young. I think I bumped up that age a little bit. It could have been 18 or 19. I don't know. (laughs) But because we're young, we don't think about our funeral. And then from the funeral, we work backwards and we ask ourselves, I'm going to die one day. And how do I want to be remembered? How do, I want to, how do I want to live my life? Where am I going to find my significance? And I think for the problem, the problem for many of us is that oftentimes we find ourselves time and time again living for success rather than significance. And the danger of this for many of us, because that's why you're at school, that's why you're entering into this job and hopefully you want to move up. The danger of this is that whenever you live for success, you are focused on yourself rather than significance, which is focused on others. And I'm wondering if some of us at this moment are feeling this emptiness in our hearts as we are trying to pursue after things. In fact, I'm praying that some of you will achieve the things that you're pursuing after, no matter how self-centered it is. Because I realize that until you get it and you realize it doesn't fill your heart, that is the only way for some of us in this room or those of you who are watching online, this is the only way you're going to finally come to the realization only Jesus Christ can fill my heart. Only Jesus Christ can fully satisfy. It's like that little kid who goes, I want that candy. I want that. You want it? Go take it. And you eat it and you're like, that kind of feeling. It might not seem a very loving thing, but in many ways, God in his infinite wisdom and infinite love that might be the only way for you to come to that realization. I know that was the case for me. And that doesn't mean that every single one of you have to go on that path. Because some of us, we see it and we decide early on, I don't want my heart to be in that condition. But I'm just saying for some of us, I think you might need to reach success to realize that you are still empty. And the thing that you're looking for and the thing that you're chasing after that you are going to continue to be in the cycle, no matter how big your place will be, no matter what kind of car you drive, no matter how much zeros you have after your in your bank account, you're still going to be empty and you have to look at yourself in the mirror every single night before you sleep. And every morning, if you have God gives you another day to live, you have to face yourself again
1: to go through life. And when we begin to live this life of significance,
0: that's when we're living for others and for the next generation so that we can live a legacy. Because we're not going to be here forever here on this earth. I want to show you this quick video. And those of you who might know uh, Tim Tebow, he was a former NFL uh, player, or he tried. And uh, he wanted to play baseball. He tried, uh, but those of you who might not know, he's a really strong Christian. He is now an activist and advocate for human trafficking and those who are being human trafficked. And so him and his wife, I think she's a model, and uh, they, they're working together to be able to reach out to many of these victims and those who cannot speak for themselves. And so it's a very powerful just ministry that they have. And he was speaking at a conference and he talked about the significance and the difference between success and significance. And he did it with an illustration, with a picture that I thought was so poignant. And that's why I wanna show it to you. So let's watch this together and then we'll come back and try to start off this whole idea of our calling. I think all of us are guilty. Wanting success, but not significance. So, can I ask you once again, what is your greatest or highest pursuit in your life right now? If it's a GPA, if it's that job that you want to land, is that promotion you want to get, I'm telling you right now even though success in and of itself is not a bad thing. But if your whole life, all your time, treasure, talent, is given towards success, you're going to implode. But if you live for significance, you're going to be blessing other people. And God's going to be depositing things back into you that you're going to be able to give to others. Cause that's how God works. So today I want to talk about making and multiplying disciples as part of our calling in life. What does that look like? What does that mean for us? I don't have a position. I don't have a title. I'm just a member. I'm just a Christ follower. How can I make a disciple? How can I multiply disciples in my context and in my life? I pray that as we talk through this this morning that you will leave here with this greater sense of I want to be significant for the glory of God. So here's the one thing that I want you to remember and simply this, that our calling in life becomes clear. It becomes clearer or even more clear than ever before when we learn how to let go of things that we hold dear that our calling in life becomes clear when we learn to let go of things that are dear. And that doesn't mean you cannot have certain things. But we're talking about those things that are idols in our hearts that we cherish above God. And until you learn to let go of some of those things, you're not going to understand what your calling is. So let me just go ahead and jump into this. I want us to look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24, and listen to what it says. I'm going to read it from two different translations so you can get different angles of this verse because I'm going to first talk about this because it's about calling. And then I'm going to answer those two other questions that we didn't talk about, and I'm going to try to synthesize those things all together so you can have a greater understanding of how discipleship and a life of a disciple is connected to the calling that God has given to every single one of us. The amplified version of Acts chapter 20 verse 24 says this, but I do not consider my life as something of value or dear to me so that I may with joy finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify faithfully of the good news of God's precious undeserved grace, which makes us free of the guilt of sin and grants us eternal life. Let me read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. When you look at this verse, you will see that Apostle Paul who shared this, what you will see is that he had clarity of purpose which enabled him then to prioritize his life, how he lived his life, because he had clarity of purpose. So that's why he's able to live out his calling. Now, those of you who know Apostle Paul and you've read some of his letters, you will notice that the moment that he came to know Jesus Christ, he was called to what? Preach the gospel. So what God did was God had to strip him of his pride. He had to strip him of his own self-righteousness. Cause if you study the book of Philippians, he gave a whole resume. He said, if I had, if anyone has reasons to boast, I do. And we see his resume and we realize it's a stellar, res- it's an incredible CV. Everybody would want to have him hired for that job. But he says, I consider all these things, what? Rubbish. That I may gain Christ to know him in his suffering and the power of his resurrection. So we see here, here's Paul. His whole life was about doing, obtaining, becoming one of the best. And God had to meet him in Acts chapter 9 through this incredible miracle where he was blinded. And through that process, God was speaking to him. And right after his eyes were open, it says like it was like scales coming down from his eyes. God spoke and he says, You are going to be my witness to the Gentiles. You are going to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand this is very significant because Jesus Christ was the reason why he was killing Christians. Now, God says you're going to be a spokesperson. You're going to go testify and preach the gospel. Now, this is the same calling that Jesus gave to the disciples. And this is the same calling that he has for us if we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 14, verse 33, I'm going to read it from the message translation and read that yellow part with me. It says this, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you? See, your, your calling is not clear unless you're willing to let go of what is what? Dear. Unless you are, unless you're willing to let go of what is dearest to you, whether plans or people and kiss it goodbye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. You know, Hong Kong
1: style. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> It says, you can't be my disciple. So
0: the question now is, if we're marked as a disciple, we're trying to mature as a disciple, then we see here, is Christ and his kingdom so valuable and precious to you that you're willing to reprioritize your life and the things in your life so that it can reflect your love for Him. Once again, what is your greatest pursuit? See, our calling in life becomes clear when we are willing to let go of those things that are dear, because there's something greater. I love what D.A. Carson said in his book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. He writes this, the Christians whole desire at his best and highest is that Jesus Christ is praised. It is always a wretched bastardization, kind of like a swear word here. I like this. A bastardization of our goals when we want to win glory for ourselves instead of for him. Bastardization simply means an illegitimate way or like degrading. Because the highest pursuit should be Jesus Christ. To bring him praise, to bring him glory in everything that we do. But if there's anything that is above that,
1: then those goals in your life, they're like bastards. I'm just quoting here. Another thing that we notice about Acts chapter 20 verse 24 is that Apostle Paul knew that he was called to
0: finish the race by fulfilling the assignment that Jesus gave him. What was this assignment? It was clear. It was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The word testify, if you read it from the ESV, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it has this idea or this connotation of to give witness or to publish. It is to prove something or to recommend something. That's what it means to testify. So many people I hear all the time say, Pastor, I don't really know like all the apologetics. I'm not really good with theology. And I'm like, do you need to know all the different ins and outs of what's in that food, what ingredients they use? to be able to recommend that restaurant or that dish to somebody? And they're like, no, I just tell them it tastes so good. (laughs) Then I go, then just tell people, Jesus, it's so good. Like, do, do do you understand what I'm trying to say? The problem is that we are so inconsistent in our lives. So every single time you say things, it better be consistent with other areas of your life. If it's not, then something is wrong. You don't need to know all the ingredients. You don't need to know how long the chef cooked that thing in that oven and to what degree.
1: All you know is it is the best. It is so good. What are they going to do? Liar. You tasted that.
0: Come to life group. We're going bouldering. You <laughs> know, come. I'm on top of it. I know what's going on. I know more than you think I know. <laughs> I was like, oh. see, that's your works mentality right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why in the New Living Translation is that the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. That's it. The message translation says the job of the, the, the job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. Have you experienced any of the generosity of God? Can I get a good amen to that? Have you ever experienced just things that you know that you did not deserve? And God, those times when he was patient with you, those times when you were living in shame and condemnation because you sinned and we, we were just completely, our hearts were so far away, but God, through his love and his gentleness, either sent somebody or did something circumstantially where you realized, I don't deserve this. That's all you need to share. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. You, if you get apologetics, if you get theology, that's good stuff. But I don't want you to use that as an excuse that I cannot share with other people because I don't know this and I don't know that. Do you know that God is good?
1: Do you know that you're sinful?
0: Some of you like, not really. I think I'm doing okay. No, you're not. Do you know that you can't save yourself? Do you know it has to be Christ's righteousness, not your own? Like simple things. And you share from your life. So what does this mean for us? What is the race that we need to finish? What is the assignment that God has given to us? And I think this goes back to the God-given assignment of testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. So the two questions that we did not answer from last week, we're going to answer right now. Are you making disciples and are you multiplying disciples? Because once again, our calling in life becomes clear when we let go of those things that are dear. And like I said, things that are dear doesn't mean all things are bad, but anything that is dear to you that you exalt above Christ. Those are the things that I'm talking about. So let's go ahead and answer that third question. Are you making disciples? Last week, I said that HMCC's definition of discipleship is simply to invite people to join us in this lifestyle of the kingdom by imitating Christ, teaching people to obey him, and imparting biblical values. That's discipleship. Now, this is our definition. You check out any other definition. There will be some semblance or resemblance of this because there's nothing new under the sun. We just got this from scripture. So it's this idea of we are trying to invite people because we're not going to force people to get discipled. I mean, if I could force you, that would be awesome. Can you imagine? We're going to fire you from, you know, you're not going to get your promotion. That's easy. CEOs have easy jobs like that. We'll just fire you. Go find another job. they are like, okay, I will. Yes, I'll take your invitation. I will do it. But we're inviting you to join us, which us means we're also on this journey. And it's about a lifestyle. It's not about how much you know. It's a lifestyle, how you live your life. It's about the kingdom. And then you're imitating what? The lifestyle of Jesus Christ and then teaching them to obey. Obey him and to impart these biblical truths and values and principles into your life. So that if you were to move to another place, you will know how to live your life for Jesus Christ. That's when you know you know the biblical principles, is because no matter what situation you're in, you don't need that discipler there. You don't need that mentor there, that you will know how to live your life to make these good decisions. This definition has to be applied in different contexts with different people in our church. That's why, listen to me carefully, as a review, we talked about the grid. You guys remember the grid? There are usually four categories of people in any church. And I just simply called it the grid. The first group of people, and there might be a handful of you in this room, or you might be watching, these are God-seeking pre-Christians. They're not believers yet. But they're coming out for whatever. It might be for community or maybe they had some church background, but they never really received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But they're enjoying the community. They're enjoying the, the presence of God in some of our gatherings that we have. So here's a group of people in our church. And so the next thing for you is to be able to cross that line and say, I want to be marked as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we have the next group of people. The next group of people is the recognized disciple. You've crossed this line, but many of us are just stuck here. Oh yeah, are you a believer? Yes, I am. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. But you know that you're not taking any steps of growth. Even this past month or even this past year, you haven't grown. You're content. You love comfort. So you're just recognized as a disciple. But God is trying to prune you. He's trying to discipline you so that you will grow. Which then comes to the next group of people that I see in our church. Uh, The I is simply the invested disciples. You're investing your time. You're investing your, your resources. You're investing just your energy so that you can serve. You can help. People, some of you are serving in ministry teams. This is where I think you are. Some of you are doing LCG, which is a life change group, accountability. Some of you are even trying to reach out to other people in your life group. You're invested. Because not only do you believe in the vision of the church, but you believe in what the Bible says, that we're not here for ourselves, but it's for what? Others. Because it's about a life of significance. So some of us are right here. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that you got your life all put together. You're still a work in progress, but you're invested. You want to keep on growing. And then we get the D, which is discipling disciple makers. That means that you are at a point where not only are you maturing and you're growing, but now you are spending time and discipling disciples who could then make other disciples. Think about it this way some of the people you're doing accountability, LCG with. Some of you who have been spending time with some people in life group. Is that person able to disciple somebody else? If they're not, then you got to grow. Maybe you're just an invested person and you're excited, but you don't know how to disciple someone so that they could disciple somebody else. So that means that we need to grow until you get to this point so that we can start multiplying. Now, with all this being said, as we think about this question, are you, multi- are, are you making disciples? Do you remember Jesus' last words to the disciples? Right before he ascended into heaven, he says to make disciples of all nations. Now, listen to what it says. I'm going to read it from the message translation. I'm just reading from different translations to help us to understand the essence of that verse. Verse. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, read the yellow sections with me. So the more senses you use, the more you can remember. It says this, go out and train everyone you meet. Huh. Let me just pause here for a second. Now, if you read it in other translations, it will say go and make what? Disciples. But here it says go and train everyone you meet. So part of discipleship is really about training. It's not just a skill, but that's part of it. Because you got to disciple or train people how to read the Bible. You got to train and disciple how to for people to pray, how to evangelize. Those are all things that people can be trained in. So that's something that we are called to do as we're making disciples, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then. Instruct them in the practice. Huh. So there's some teaching involved. There's some showing. There's some logistical things. You're, you're, you're instructing them in the practice, the lifestyle. All that I've commanded you, I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So it doesn't stop. You keep on doing this. This is a lifestyle. Look Look! Look! how the Passion Translation translates this. Now wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you, and never forget that I'm with you every day, even to the completion of this age. So it's learning how to teach people to faithfully follow the ways of God. This is the reason why in our church, as I shared last week, I want to be known as a church that disciples people. That means that we're going to get up all up on your grill. It's an English colloquial phrase from the ghetto. So let me rephrase what I was trying to say. We're going to get up all up on your business. That's another colloquial phrase. Let me rephrase it. (laughs) We're going to be concerned about your life. There we go. There we go. It just doesn't sound as good. We want to be concerned because we love you. And we want to make sure that you're loving Jesus and loving God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and you're loving people. Like, I'm not here to be your best friend. You can hate me because, man, this guy, he's so direct. He he just goes off and goes all crazy. You you can say all those things about me. But as long as I know that when I'm talking to you and I'm speaking truth to you, that I'm not mincing the words. I'm not trying to be really nice so that I won't hurt your feelings. Because sometimes our emotions, we, we have to be hurt for us to realize. Don't ever forget that. I'm not saying go and hurt everybody. How many people did you hurt today? Oh, five? I did seven. (laughs) No. But sometimes when you speak truth, it's going to hurt. You think that you're good friends, your best friends, and then you say something and then they get upset at you. They're not your friend. Unless they grow up and they realize, man, they really did care. No one else told me this, but this person did. So they do love me. They do care. They should be the ones standing up in your wedding. Not that person where you like to go bouldering all the time. Now if you go bouldering and rebuking, hey. That's like awesome. Rebuking as you're Bouldering. You see how high up you are? You could fall from the Lord,
1: you know? Good things. Teach
0: them faithfully to follow. The voice translation says this, then disciple them. Form them in the practices and postures that I have taught you. So it is about things that we do but it's the heart of why we do it. I'm just wondering, are you teaching and training others to follow Christ and his commands? Because if you are, you're probably having a good LCG. If you are, then you're probably with some, a great disciple or mentor who loves you. And I bet you that you're, you're growing and opportunities
1: are rising. Some of us, as I shared before, you have not been discipled. And I could tell, I could tell right away when someone has not been discipled. We cannot keep on spoon feeding you. Some of you have been with our church from day one. So we're talking about six years. We're starting our seventh year in September. And you're still at the same place that you were six years ago. Wake up. It's your heart. You could blame other people. You could blame circumstances.
0: But it's your heart. And what can we do with our hearts Sometimes nothing. That's why you got to humble yourself and ask God, cry out
1: to God. God, humble me. Break my heart. Break it with the things that break your heart. Some of you have come from other churches. And some of you are realizing, man,
0: this ain't like all the other churches I've been to. For good and bad, right? Oh, they do it this way. I like this better than my old church oh, my other church let me do this, but not here. And sometimes that confirmation bias that you might have as you look at things, or maybe just the way you fixate it, your fixed mindset of how you do certain things is hindering you from growing. Sometimes you got to do something that is not comfortable, that's not natural.
1: And then you realize, oh, this is what it was. Once again, it's the posture of the heart more than anything else.
0: That's why I want to encourage us. You got to take responsibility and be proactive so that you can grow. So I'm not against soap. I'm not against prayer. All those things are good. Do it. That's the process of maturing. That's a process of discipling other people into those things. Pass on the experience. Pass on the knowledge that you have. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. I showed you, I I shared with you even last week. If there's a book you want to read on discipleship that will help you to understand that it's a costly thing. This book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a good book to even read during the summer if you want to read something. Listen to what he says. He says, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity with discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Did you get that? Read it again. Let's read it again. I'll read it. Okay, just listen. This is a good lesson on communication. I'm communicating to you. I will read it, but with your eyes, just read it, all right? And that's as we're reading it together. It says, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. Think about that. Some of you are worshiping a dead God because it's all about religion. It's all about self-righteousness. It's all about morality. It's all about legalism. That's why you have no joy in your life.
1: If he's the living Christ, streams of water, living water should flow out of
0: you. There should be songs, hymns, and spiritual songs that are coming out of you. There should be joy, even in the midst of difficulties. Because you know that there's something greater. That he's greater. Some of us are worshiping a dead Christ, but he's not dead. Turn to somebody and go, "He, he ain't dead. Sorry, back grammar. He, he is not dead. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to say it like on the streets because it hits you more. He's not dead. He's alive. That's why anyone who lives his Christian life, you haven't encountered the living Christ. He's alive. He resurrected from the dead. So that's why sometimes your Christianity is without discipleship because you don't have this living Christ living inside of you. It's religion. It's it's just moralism. Living a good life. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without what? Without Christ. Do you know how many people we have that they say this is the gospel, but that they're not living it. Why? Because they're not in discipleship. You know who are the people that I know are discipled and they believe in this? Are the people who are under persecution in China, in Middle East, Nigeria, who are dying for their faith, in some of these remote islands where there's extreme uh, extremism of terrorism, all that stuff, and they're trying to annihilate the Christians. And I'm telling you right now, For them, they are worshiping a living Christ and they know that Christianity, that they are understanding, it entails discipleship because Jesus says that you cannot be greater than the master. So if I, your master, have been persecuted and has gone under suffering, so will you as a follower. So don't be surprised if you're trying to live for Christ that your boss or your friends or even your family members might not understand.
1: Because Christ went through that. In fact, he went more than that. He died on the cross. I'm just wondering, are you making disciples?
0: Or are we just content with where we are? Are we helping people to really grow and to understand just the practices and the heart posture to grow in this relationship with Jesus Christ? This is the thing. If you haven't been discipled, I will tell you this. It's going to be very hard to disciple other people. That's why from last week, I said, go get a discipler. Find somebody. Ask them. Go get a mentor. If you don't know how to do it, go check out Six Skills and you'll find a way to find a mentor. Let me close out with the fourth question. So are you marked as a disciple? Are you maturing as a disciple? Are you making disciple? And now this is the hardest part that I myself sometimes struggle through, which is are we making disciple makers? How many of you have studied and understand the difference between lean, linear Um, what are they called? Linear equation or like linear growth versus exponential growth. How many of you have studied that? Okay. I went to fashion school, Pastor, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me kind of explain this way with this graph. (sighs) Trying to keep it simple. UST guys are like, well, that that margin, you know. So just relax. This is just to illustrate, all right? So if things are off, just chill out. (laughs) Linear growth. Constant. You just keep on adding numbers. And it just grows this way. Now, the interesting part is that once you get to exponential growth, the thing that I had to learn as I was getting discipled is that when you put it in the time, here's X over a short period of time, I'm telling you right now, linear growth seems like it's the way to go because you're just adding. So it just keeps on growing. But when this time expands to like five years, 10 years, 20 years that you don't want to go with linear growth. You want to go with exponential. You know why? Cause this is what happens. Let us pray and close out. Uh, we finished math, <laughs> calculus, trigonometry, anyway. Because if you really understand this, those of you who do understand it because of math, those of you who don't, we're just going to pray for you. But listen carefully. <laughs> listen carefully. If we say this is like one year, two years, three years in your campus, Maybe in your life stage, it could be very frustrating if you're advocating exponential growth. Are you with me? Like you're putting all this investment, you're spending time with people. It just doesn't seem like anything's happening. But that's the thing about quality. Because with quality, it takes time. So it's always easier to opt for the linear growth. Why? Because all you're doing is you're adding. You're adding. And so it seems like, while wow, we're growing. But once you hit that mark, this is when you're going to start seeing things grow incredibly on an upward swing. That's why sometimes it's hard to see a church grow until it gets to the 7th, 8th, even the double digits, 10th year. A faithfully preaching the word, doing life group, doing LCG, reading the word of God, and it just seems like we're not getting anywhere, but just watch. There's going to come a time when it will begin to multiply exponentially and it's going to go crazy. I was thinking about this and I'm like, what illustration can I give? And then there was a professor at the University of British Columbia who actually proved this in a very tangible way. And so the students understood this. And I thought it was interesting. So I want to show you this quick video of this professor actually filming him doing this and he was trying to also teach this is the same way with viruses. Any, anything that spreads and multiplies, this is what happens. So let's watch this really quickly to just talk about multiplication. Amen. Okay, students. No, i get it. When I first saw it, I'm like, wow. I thought it was interesting from the center because
1: that's our logo. It ripples out. And that's exactly what we
0: envisioned it when we started our church, my wife and I, back in 1996. That as our lives are being impacted, that it will affect people around us and then it will continue to spread. To make disciples who will be able to disciple other people, that initial experience of that discipleship has to be strong to then carry it to the next generation and to the next generation. And Paul, apostle Paul, talked about four generation. You know this passage very well. In 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, listen to what it says. And I'm going to read it from the amplified version. It says, "The things which are the doctrines, the precepts, the uh, admonitions, the sum of my ministry which you have heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, entrust as a treasure" to reliable and faithful men who will also be capable and qualified to teach others. I'm going to read from the pastor in translation. It says this, and read that yellow section with me. And all that you have learned from me, confirmed by the integrity of my life, deposit into faithful leaders who are competent to teach the congregation the same revelation. So here is Paul receiving from Jesus who now taught Timothy, his disciple, who then, Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, my disciple, share it and entrust it with other people who will then be able to what? Teach others. That's four generations. Paul, Timothy, who's teaching it to others, reliable people who will then teach others. Four generations. That is what we call a disciple Making movement. That this person, Paul, took this message from Christ in his relationship with Christ, imparted it to Timothy. Timothy then imparted to, and is encouraged to impart it to trustworthy and reliable people who will be able to then teach others. Can you imagine what would happen in our church if we did that? In fact, let me just present it this way. I, as I was thinking about this, I said, Pastor Bo and I, we have the responsibility to spend time with the leaders because everything falls and rises with leadership. That's why in our church, leadership is not something that you just kind of sign up for. It's an invited relationship. And so as we are spending most of our time with the leaders in our church, the leaders in our church then needs to spend time with those who are committed in our church because they can't do all the ministry. Because if some of you are not committed, the thing is this, like it's going to be very difficult to keep on passing it out because you're not committed. But if you're committed, then you could take what's now being imparted to you to then reach out to others whether they're in our church or maybe they're at your workplace or your school. That's how we get four generations of discipleship going. So that's why a lot of my time is spent with leaders. So as I'm spending time with these guys, they are now spending time with some of you because they're your life group leaders who are then spending time with some of their soul community members who are then spending time with people in the church. And the reason why this is important is because I don't know if you know this or not, but I just found that out recently that the focus ministry from three years ago to where it is now, we have multiplied three times. Amen. Junk boating, bouldering. Why wouldn't you want to join Focus, right? Prayer meeting, fasting. Oh no.
1: Bouldering, junk boating. Nothing wrong with that. That's how you bring people in. Three times. And a lot
0: of it was the faithful investment of some of these guys who started the focus ministry. Some of you who have been part of this ministry, you've invested in the next generation because every year a new generation of focus people are coming in. Let me use it in a negative sense. So that you guys understand. There are some of your campuses. Well, you don't have too many seniors, too many juniors. You don't have anyone in salt, community. You won't even be able to rec- recommend any leaders, future leaders from your campus. And if that continues, that campus will die. We're going to close shop in that campus because there will not be enough leaders and enough people. So unless you take this seriously, not just the leaders or Pastor Bo or Pastor Seth saying, okay, we're going to do something about this, but you, it is your campus. That's why I've shared this over and over again. If you don't love your campus, no one else will. You've been there for four years, three years. I don't know how long you've been. You might be a sophomore. This is your second year.
1: You know the ins and out of that campus. You know which cafeteria not to eat at. So if you're not discipling and then discipling other people, give it about another year, two years, that
0: campus will close down because we're not going to have anyone to minister to. We're not going to have any leaders to be able to minister to people. And some of us are like, oh, wake up. Maybe it's because the whole three years you've been focused on yourself, about success, getting this GPA, while souls are dying without knowing Jesus Christ. It's about your career, about what you can get. It's going to lead to emptiness. And you're going to be wondering, what is my calling in life? It's not about just being successful. It's about being fruitful in your life. Are there evidences of you living this gospel message that other people who are lost, who don't know the truth,
1: they're drawn to you, drawn to your community? So don't blame the leaders. Don't blame other people.
0: Wake up and say, what am I doing? Do I love this
1: campus? Do I love the lost? Do I love Jesus? So why is all this important? (laughs) Churches come and go. We all come and go. I'm going to die one day. But thank God that he is faithful. Can I get
0: a good amen to that? That even though people have been trying to crush Christianity, try to smear Christians, and even Jesus Christ trying to take away Bibles from them, burning Bibles all throughout history. But God loves the church, and he continues to use the church to bring people to him. This is the reason why we as a church, we are passionate about making disciples, because this is the way we're going to carry the mission to the ends of this earth. That's why you've seen these maps before. And one of the things that we always talk about when we look at this Hong Kong map, why universities? Because I'm telling you right now, I mean, name a church in Hong Kong, that has this kind of emphasis on the universities. The reason why my wife and I, we started it in Michigan and we're passionate even when we first came to Hong Kong is because during the university years, you make some of the most important decisions of your life. And statistics say that if you do not receive Jesus Christ by the time you are 18 years old, that the, the rate of you coming to Christ is harder. So we have a small window of opportunity for people who have never been exposed to Christianity, who have been hurt by Christianity or Christians, for them to experience in a genuine way the love of Jesus Christ that it will totally blow their minds away and they realize, I didn't know that God is like this. I didn't know Jesus Christ is this good. So all their negative experiences, all their things that they went through in their life, they realize it could only be found in Jesus Christ. So when they make that decision to be a follower of Jesus, it will change the trajectory of your life. I know it did for mine. It did for so many other people. And he could do it for you. That's why we're committed to reaching universities. Until the day I die, I'm going to be on the university. I'm going to be doing my own walking, uh, prayer
1: walking. As long as the Lord gives me strength. think about all the protests in the world history just all throughout the world who are the one protesting college
0: students because they're bored they have nothing to do I, 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 it's always these college students can you imagine if you could capture their imagination for the gospel and then they are protesting in the flow of culture to say i want to be different i want to lay down my life for jesus christ do you know how this world will be changed
1: That's why I believe in this ministry of reaching universities. I'm an
0: old man. I'm getting older. Some of you, that's your school. And it doesn't break your heart. You don't even pray for your universities and the people in your campus because you're so self-absorbed with your GPA
1: and what your next intern will be. Where are you going to do exchange? It's all about you. That's why maybe possibly the ministry there is dying because you got a bunch
0: of people who are self-absorbed that they're not able to look out to see something that is eternal to make my life significant because I want to know that that one person that I spent time with that they will not be in hell a year from now because they're going to get baptized and they will come to know Jesus Christ. So that's why we laid it out. And I thought it was just amazing how all the universes are spread out all over Hong Kong. Can I get a good ending to that? We didn't plan it. It just happened. You see those lines? That's the MTR. You didn't get the new Diamond Hill to uh, Taiwan, Anyway. Uh, <laughs> There's one going to go through Sha Tin all the way down to Central. we got to update this. Okay. But what we shared is that if we reach out to a university and we got a bunch of people who are experiencing Christ, experiencing community, then what we could do is start what? A church site in some of these areas. I was just thinking, what if our church was in Lingnan? Some of you are like, that's like the boonies. Already people from the island are like, oh my God, Where is the?" Oh. <laughs> but we say, if you reach out to the universities, they're going to have their whole life flipped upside down, the things that they do is for the glory of God, and we can actually see church. And this is how we're going to reach Hong Kong. And as we begin to reach Hong Kong, one of the things that we're saying is that we want to see families reach in the communities. And then as we begin to do that, we've been talking a lot about the circle. And that's why we've been praying. What's in the center? It's Hong Kong. Remember? Tap, 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 tap from the center out. Reach Hong Kong. We're going to reach this part of the world where there's close to 53% of the world's population. I've been talking with some people who are doing church planning in the two largest populous countries, which is China and India. And I was doing the math as I was kind of talking with them. And I realized that they have close to 37 some percent of the world's population in those two countries alone. And there's another country around here somewhere where they're like the fourth populous country. That Kind of bumps up the average now. Think about it. If we reach Hong Kong, like I shared with you before, we're going to be able to reach different areas and it's going to spread out until we reach this side of the world, as we talked about. This is the reason why, listen to me carefully, if we want to start another campus, we cannot do it until we raise up disciples. Can I get a good amen to that? We cannot. It's going to be futile. Because what is it that you're going to multiply? bunch of people like oh yeah i I really liked uh i I don't know i'm not gonna say any campus but those campuses we haven't reached yet but you lay down your life you get discipled you get trained that's a whole different story why are we reaching out investing a lot in the focus in the city ministry because it is out of the city ministry where we could plant another site Why are we still praying about the bold vision? Because we're praying that God help us to start a church, maybe in a different city. And the next closest one is in Shenzhen. It could be some other place, God will call us. Depending on the food. (laughs) And the K-drama. We might have to go there. Japan, where it's unreached, it's like 0.0 some percent Christians. Millions of people dying without Jesus Christ. It doesn't move us because we're so self centered and so absorbed with ourselves. And I'm telling you, you might be successful, but you will be empty because it's all about you're going to implode. Don't wait until you're 40 some years old. Don't wait until you're 50 some years old when you finally realize that you've been climbing up the ladder, but you've been on the wrong side of the wall. Invest in being a disciple making disciples, and making other disciple makers. And that's where you're going to experience God doing powerful things. So once again, the one thing that we talked about is simply this. Our calling in life, it's going to get clear. If you stop looking at the things that are right in front of you, but just your calling in life is almost, I would say, directly correlated to understanding more of God's heart. And look at your hands. What is it that you're holding on to that's so dear that you might have to say, you know what? In light of eternity, this is not significant. Our souls are. Can I encourage us with a couple things? First of all, this coming week and throughout the summer, what is our our, uh, target for this summer? Does anyone know? Wow. Now, if that was all the leaders saying it, then I'm a little bit just, I'm happy. But then I want the members to know this. The target for this summer is discipleship is about relationship. And we're going to focus on goal, which is God. That's a relationship we want to grow in. Others, we're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about accountability, how to do this so we can grow. and one another and then the a is the accountability and the l is the loss we want to reach more people with the gospel message they are in your workplaces they are in your schools and i pray that god will burden our hearts so with that in mind what i'm going to ask you to do this coming week and as we look into the summer in about a couple weeks we're going to start new life groups for the summer use it take advantage of it to grow this summer no more excuses So the first thing is devote yourself to growing as a disciple. Make this a commitment. It should be a dedication, a devotion to say, God, because I love you, because you have been so good, I want to become more like you. I want to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. So commit and be devoted to being a disciple of Jesus Christ this coming summer. The second thing is this, demonstrate the kingdom lifestyle to others. Let's stop talking. Let's stop trying to present all this stuff. Live your life. Let your life show that you are different. When everyone is stressed out, you could be a little bit stressed out, but there's a sense of peace that you have because you know God is with you. When things at work, do it well. No one's going to want to follow you if you're the one who's always late. You're always stealing things from the company, or like you know those post-its and extra pens. And you know, people, people are watching you. People are watching you. And every single time you have to do something, you're like, yeah, I'll get that done. And then you don't get it done. And everyone's like, you're the
1: weak link. If I was a pre-Christian and you're working with me, I would not want to work with you. And you go, yeah, come on to life
0: group because Jesus Christ, he could transform your life the way he transformed my life. I'm going to be like, Jesus did that to you? You pen-stealing, labor uh, arriving, you, uh Now, don't mistake me because a lot of times people are like, that I have to be perfect. I have to live a, some of you are like that. No. You point to Jesus. It's because I'm like this, I need Jesus. It's not about being perfect, but you need him. And lastly, develop the next generation of disciples. I pray that that will be a commitment we make. Remember what I started off with? Live your life with what? Your funeral in mind. That will help you to reprioritize and think about what it is that you are living for. Many of you know Billy Graham. He's the most famous, iconic evangelist in the history of this world, next to Apostle Paul and Jesus. And he died on February 21st, 2018. So he literally lived almost 99 years, almost 100 years, a century. And this video that I'm going to show as we close out is a little of a compilation of snippets of his funeral from all his kids and his family members who shared about his life. A lot of times we see people up on the stage. We see them in so many different contexts. We're like, oh, they're like this. But I'm telling you right now, the people who are the closest to them know them the best. Because that's what life on life discipleship is all about. You live your life with people. And I pray that by the time you die, and we don't know when that's going to be, for some of us, it's going to be earlier. Lord forbid, But some of you, it might be tragedy. It might be different things. You are not going to live forever here on this earth. All I can say to you is this. When you are lying there in that casket, what do you want people to say about you? I've always said weddings, it means nothing. They just want food. And also it's a great atmosphere to find other people. Come on now. My, our family, we lived in Indonesia. We know those 3,000 member uh, weddings. We know. Weddings, like I said, I'm not trying to belittle the wedding. It's great. If you have a big wedding, a lot of friends, great. But the true test of your life is how many people show up at your funeral. And pay respects because you impacted their lives. So think about that for a second. How many people have you impacted that there's some significance that if you were to die, you will have one of the largest funerals because you touched them in such a powerful way with the gospel. I want you to just watch this, just a couple minutes, and I want you to hear the stories of this incredible man who was not only a public figure, but even at home in private, and as he discipled many people after him. Let's watch this together. Can I ask us just to bow our heads for a moment? Just close your eyes and let's just make this moment a time with you and God. I don't know when you're going to pass away. I don't know when I'm going to pass away. But the worst kind of life is when there's life of regret. I should have, could have, would have. When you know God's heart, you know His purpose. You begin to prioritize your life in such a way because it's a calling. I think some of us have this negative view like, oh, if I really love Jesus, then I'm going to have to be a pastor. I'm going to have to do all this stuff, give up this. Your view of God is skewed. I've been just thinking about my life recently and I realized I could have done anything. And I'm not boasting. I think God has given me certain gifts, certain talents. You stick me in a situation. I think I would have been able to Succeed, or at least do somewhat of a decent job. Minus medicine, because I couldn't dissect the pig in eighth grade. And that's when I knew I'm not going to be a doctor or a surgeon. And the more I thought about it, I realized I can do pretty much anything. But the thing that drives me is I'm passionate about seeing lives being transformed. That's why I love taking people to new restaurants that they've never been before. Because when they eat it, their face changes. Transformation. Different experiences they've never been before to that place, to that hike. Transformation. So to me, it's not being a pastor. It's just being in people's lives for them to experience this genuine transformation. Experience something that is good. I just want to ask us is this gospel message good so good to you that you are willing to let go of anything that you're holding on to that's greater than god so say god here it is help me to just be a disciple i want to learn to love you love people i want to be able to imitate your life I think some of us we, we might just have to repent because we've been just a self-absorbed life self-centered life this past year just say God I want to come back back to your heart some of us we might just feel like I, I really do want to grow but I don't know how to give me the courage to be proactive and find ways talk to your leaders talk to pastor Bo talk to me just do something Some of you have been faithfully discipling and it just seems like nothing's changing. Once again, it's not about you. Just be faithful. A year from now, two years from now, you'll see that exponential growth because nothing we do is in vain. That's what the Bible tells us. So just be faithful and then let God produce the fruits in you. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.